Today is our fourth sermon in our Titus series, For the Faith. And if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 will be our key text today. Now, I've got something with me this morning in my hand. You might not be able to see it from there. You might have an idea of what it is. I open it up and it stamps and we'll get a picture of it up on the screen there. Anybody know what that is now? Something old. old. Just because I'm old, it's not old, okay? (laughs) Let's look at the next picture and now you'll know. It's an embosser stamp. Years ago, one of my buddies, when he got married, Amos Albright, and uh, Amos is now a pastor now in Indiana, gave us these as gifts. And so uh, it's great because mine obviously says from the library of, so if you have a new book like this one right here, and I haven't stamped this one, you just pull open that front page there and put that on there and squeeze... And then you got a stamp embossed on there. What a great gift, huh? Especially for a guy that has a lot of books. Now, the reason I bring out my embosser stamp today is because when I was studying for our sermon this week, there's a word in there in verse 7 in specific that we'll get to as we get there later this morning that basically says that same thing. Make an impression with your life. That it will be a lasting impression that people see. So, we'll get there. But we've got our Scripture memory verse for the month, and a new month, so a new Scripture memory verse. And if you'll say that with me, and we'll say the reference, the verse, and the reference again, let's read it together. Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 5. You can tell that because that doesn't start with a capital and doesn't end with a period, it's part of a longer thought. We'll get there in our sermon in a few weeks, but our Scripture memory verse for the month. If you've got your Bibles with you and if you're able to stand with me now in the honor of reading God's Word as we read our key text for today, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, as we talk about teaching sound doctrine. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women." to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Verse 6, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Verse 9, teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we've read your word, and now we're going to study it. 
And it's our trust and it's our prayer that by your Spirit that you will teach us. So Father, we thank you for each and every person here who's trusted Jesus as their Savior, who is a Christ follower. We pray for any as a child, a teenager, or an adult that are here among us or listening online this morning that have not yet trusted Jesus as their Savior, that even this message about teaching sound doctrine and living a sound life would impress us to be a follower of Jesus. We thank you that you are present with us and we look forward to the changes you'll bring in us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We've got a series of questions to make up our points this morning. And of course, if it's a question, you can write the answer down yourself on your outline. And if you need to find that outline, if you haven't already, on our bulletin page, there is a link to our sermon notes. And that sermon notes, those are also available in version on your tablet, on your app. You go to Live and find Southview there, and that'll connect you with our notes, and you can take notes right there. But our first question this morning is, what should I do differently than rebellious people. Now, where do we get that point from? That point comes from last week's sermon. And last week's sermon, in the context of reading there, go back to Titus chapter 1, verse 10. He says, For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, those of the circumcision group. And remember, we use the general term rebellious people so that it would include folks like us because we're all sinful and rebellious. But what Paul was writing about specifically to Titus here in Crete was the specific type of rebellion, and that was false teaching. That false teaching seemed to be made up of folks that were Judaizers, teaching you had to follow all the Jewish laws, rituals, and customs. And then they also added some other stuff to it, like not unlike Gnosticism. You've got to have some special knowledge. So these are the type folks that Titus was to combat with his ministry and lead others to combat in Crete. And so Paul goes deeper with what we have as chapter 2 here, and he says to Titus, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. He reminds us of the prevalence and the dangers of false teaching in the end of chapter 1 there. And now he says, we've got to instruct, we've got to teach on sound doctrine. In accordance with is what sound doctrines demands Teach what is in accord with sound doctrine? What does sound doctrine demand? Well, that's going to be the main point of our sermon today that we'll make in different ways. That sound doctrine demands a sound life. That a sound life, ethically, morally, the way we live as followers of Jesus, demonstrates that we have received sound doctrine or sound teaching. And because we have received sound doctrine or sound teaching, we are therefore engaged to obey that sound doctrine and teaching, and there should be a difference in our life. That sound doctrine results in a sound life, and that a sound life supports sound doctrine. We've got to walk the walk. Not just talk the talk. I know it's cliche, but it's true. And as believers of Jesus, we've got to walk that way. So that's what we should do differently than rebellious people. We should receive God's word taught in a sound way, a sound doctrine. And we should live God's word that our sound life gives testimony to the sound doctrine we've received. 
Let's move on to your second question. Your second question and your second major point there is what should older people be taught? Now, um, if you weren't paying attention, well, you just read the scripture. Don't get offended that it says what should older people be taught because we're going to get to the younger people here in a minute as well. Paul is going through these different categories of people and saying how slightly different um, t- Titus should be teaching them based on their stage of life and what the expectations of them would be. So the first one are older men, and then they are talking about older women. Notice in verse 2 there, he says, Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith and love and endurance. So he starts with older men. He says that older men should be, your Bible translation may use, grave. There should be a gravity about them, a sobriety about them. But that doesn't mean it's a gloominess. It means that their heart and their mind are kept healthy. Their heart and their mind are kept sound, both in the living of their faith and the understanding of their faith. The King James says it this way. It says that aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. They should be worthy of respect, it says in the NAS, that their dignity and maturity are two hallmarks of older men. There's been men in my life that have been examples, that by their Christian character and the way they behaved, I said to them, or I said to anyone at the time when I noticed it, I want to grow up to be like that guy. Now, I'm older myself now. I get excited about sweater vests. I mean, you know, I have progressive lens glasses that I can't read my notes unless I have them on. You don't want to hear a bad sermon, steal my glasses, right? But there are still men older than me. Obviously, there are. But there's something about their character and the way they carry themselves They are followers of Jesus, but the way their following of Jesus lives itself out within their personality, within their experience, but demonstrating sound doctrine by their sound life that I say, I want to grow up to be like that guy. I'm 50 years old and I haven't grown up yet. Can I get an amen from anybody else that hasn't grown up yet? Yeah, let's not grow up yet, right? But the older men are to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled. And then there's three hallmarks of our Christian faith. Faith, love, endurance, or your Bible may say patience or perseverance. When you are a follower of Jesus, you ought to demonstrate faith. Everybody ought to see you as a person of faith, that your life demonstrates faith, even though you may say, well, Pastor Aaron, I don't have the spiritual gift of faith. Whether you have the spiritual gift or not, that as a believer of Jesus, you say, I'm following somebody I cannot see, and I'm obeying words that I can recognize, but I'm taking a step of faith. In love, that is agape. That's that otherish love. It's God-powered. You can't do it on your own. It's other-focused. It's not about you. And it's self-sacrificing, giving yourself on behalf of others. But then in endurance and patience and perseverance, you don't give up. This is what Paul teaches that older men should be like. Verse 3 adds instruction to older ladies. Now, this is not literally like old ladies. I think the translation older ladies is appropriate. But what does it say of these older ladies? That they're to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, and to teach what is good. 
he uses two different words that are hapax legomenon. That's how you know I went to seminary. That's Latin that means the only occurrence, right? And two different hapax legomenon in the same description of the ladies, that their life is to be, and their demeanor is to be reverent. The only time in the New Testament these two words are used. So it was as if Paul, when writing Timothy, this on the island of Crete, said, hmm, the normal word I use for reverent and the normal word I use for teach are not quite good enough for this situation. I want Titus, as he's reading this, to go, hmm, that's a unique word. That's a word that draws some attention to the way that I want the older women to live. And therefore, by the use of a word that's unique or different, I'm drawing attention to the topic that I'm teaching. So Paul did it there. We're doing it here to say older ladies should live a life that is different, to teach what is good, to show forth their Christian character. So older men and older ladies both should have sound doctrine that informs a sound life and sound life that supports sound doctrine. We should be able to see them walk the walk, not just talk the talk, which leads us to our third question. What should younger people be taught? What should younger people be taught? Well, we've given instructions to the older people here. What about the younger people? Notice that younger women follows right along with older women. Verse 4, then they, the older women, can train the younger women, and it gives some things they can train them for, to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, and to be kind and subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the Word of God. Now, it's interesting here that what Paul does In these other cases, older men, older women, younger men, that Paul said, Titus, you're to teach the older women, and the older women are to teach the younger women. There was a separation there. This isn't in any way sexist, but it's sensitive. Maybe it's saying, Titus, I know that you're not going to be able to teach these ladies because they're close to your age. Or maybe Titus is a single guy, and if they're married ladies, he doesn't need to be teaching them. So there's a difference here that we've got to draw out because it's right there in the Scripture. But what does it say about them? To love their husbands. It's that agape word, to otherish them. And then it says to be self-controlled, pure or chaste. And then that busy at home, literally there's a debate about that. Does it mean keeping at home or workers at home? But I think the NIV is the best translation. In other words, to take care of their household is the idea that younger women should be due. And subject to their husbands. Before you freak out about this, you need to go back and remember the way that Paul talked about the way a husband should live. He should give himself up for a wife, a Christian husband, as Christ gave himself for the church, that he literally laid down his life. He sacrificed himself for her. And if your husband loves you like Jesus, it shouldn't be hard to want to follow him. So it's not talking about dictatorial, authoritarian, anything crazy and mixed up like that. It's not a demand for obedience but a recognition of equal value under the headship and the authority that God ordained from the very beginning for men with women. But notice verse 6 there. Verse 6 goes on and talks about the younger men. It says, similarly, similarly, excuse me, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Now, it would seem a little bit unfair if you're adding things up. The younger women had this list 
all these things they're supposed to do. The younger men have one thing. Anybody here wise enough to know why younger men need one thing and the ladies get a list? The ladies are smarter than the men, right? You ladies somehow can do like five things at once. My wife can be on a phone call for work, cooking supper, um, doing dishes, and I'm instructing the kids, and I'm like, how does she do this? It's just like built in, right? Me, give me one thing to do. Just one thing to think about. I want to focus. I don't want to be distracted. I'm not smart enough to multitask, right? But look at what the one instruction is for younger men to be self Controlled. The word that is used there in the NIV, encourage the young man, frankly isn't a strong enough word. It literally should be urge, exhort, holler at those young men so they know that it's important to be self controlled, live wisely, sensibly. Because if you're self-controlled and you live wisely, you live sensibly, that applies to all your life. But there's a few things implied here for you younger men if you're thinking, man, why do we only get one thing and it's self-controlled and how can I even do it? I struggle with it. One is that Paul is saying it can happen. It is possible to have self-control to live a sensible life. The second thing is that it takes encouragement or accountability from another brother in Christ as Titus was instructed to give to the younger men there on Crete. And the third thing is that it needs an example. That's implied in the very next verse. Actually, it's not implied. It's explicit. Let's move on to verse 7. He says, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. The reason I brought my embosser is that English word translated example is actually um, tupos or type in Greek where we get the word type from. And it means to press down on, to impress, to leave a permanent mark. Just like when I do this on paper, it leaves a permanent mark. You might get something and try to press this down or scratch this out and make this go away where you can't see where it says from the library of Paul Aaron Householder anymore, but it doesn't come out. It's there. It's impressed upon. Paul says to Titus, you live your life so much in accordance with God's will that sound doctrine has resulted in a sound life, that sound life supports sound doctrine, that the younger men see you as an example and go, if Titus can do this, I can do it too. If Titus can be self-controlled and have self-mastery, if Titus can be sensible in every situation, then I can too. Which leads us to that question, your fourth question, How should younger people be taught? How should younger people be taught? Well, we talked about what they should be taught, but now how should they be taught? Well, the younger people, the younger women taught by older women. But in the case of younger men, Titus was to teach them and he was to give them an example. Go on there in verse 7. He says, here's how to do the example. He says, in your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, And soundness of speech, into verse 8, that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Did you hear that? You live your life in such a way that you teach 
with integrity. It's solid. It's unquestionable. It's sound. That they can't condemn us or pick pick on us. That a sound life supports sound doctrine. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. We'll hit that one in just a moment. But let's move on to your fifth question. Your fifth question is what should slaves be taught? Now, before we answer this question, and Scripture will do that for us in verses 9 and 10, just a quick aside. That on the topic of slavery in the New Testament... The New Testament accepts slavery as part of the socioeconomic fabric, but it and it does not openly and it does not openly condemn it, but it doesn't sanction it as God ordained. Slavery in the New Testament time was quite different than slavery in America going back multiple uh, centuries. This was if your nation conquered another nation. You took those folks as slaves. You treated them almost as employees, but they were not free. They belonged to someone. They may have even been the same race, the same gender, same nationality, because they became indebted was another way you became a slave. You couldn't pay a debt. You had to give yourself to pay the debt for a period of time. So we can't make a case for or against slavery for here But we consider the principles that Paul is teaching Titus to share with slaves. It could be in a given town that more than half the population was slaves, even up to 60 or 70 percent. And so it was very well likely that on the island of Crete, of those who were already believers in Jesus and joining together in the churches that Paul had sent Titus to put elders or pastors in charge of and help organize and guard against the teaching of false doctrine, that there were many in the church that were slaves. And so you've got to address, as a slave, here's how you're supposed to live. Let's look at verse 9 and 10. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Paul uses a stronger word than obey. He says to be subject to them. It must indicate then that the Cretan Christ-following slaves, because of their freedom in Christ, were not necessarily representing the name of Christ well by the way they treated their masters. To Try to please them in everything you did, not to steal from them, to show you can be trusted. It's about honesty in both things, right? To live a life of integrity. But look at the end there. Verse 10. So that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So that in every way they may make the teaching uh, uh, or they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The Greek word there, attractive or adorn, is cosmeo, like we get cosmetics from, right? And it literally means a jewel or a piece of jewelry that is featured to set off and display something that is attractive, a flourish of some sort. And it's saying to the slaves there, that you should live in such a way, honest and trustworthy, that you make the gospel attractive to those who are not yet Christ followers. 
Which leads us to our sixth question. Why should Christ's followers be sensible? Why should we be sound in our lives to support sound doctrine? That sound doctrine has resulted in a sound life. Why should we be sensible and self-controlled? Why should we live an exemplary life? Well, there's three different verses that sum that up, and all three of them have my favorite Greek word, hina, which is one phrase in English you know. And you know I love the so that. Look back at verse 5. What did it say in verse 5? So that no one will malign the word of God. So that no one can make fun of or cast doubt upon the word of God. Distrust the word of God. They were supposed to live lives, exemplary lives, sound lives, supporting sound doctrine. So that no one will malign the word of God. Look down at verse 8. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed and they have nothing bad to say about us. In other words, you live a life of such sound life, demonstrating sound doctrine, that they can't even say anything bad about you. They'd be ashamed if they did. What a life that would be, right? And then in the end of verse 10, there again, speaking to the slaves, so that in every way they will make the teaching of God our Savior more attractive, like jewelry or an adornment of some type. So that... It's about protecting the word. It's about um, protecting Christ followers. It's about rescuing lost souls. It's the way God's word is handled, the way you live your life. Not just content in receiving sound teaching here in the pews, but impressed that you must live sound teaching 24-7, 365 outside these doors. A sound life supports, adorns, demonstrates sound doctrine as we walk the walk. Which leads to your seventh and final question by means of conclusion. And that final question is, what makes this message so important to me? What did you hear today that is important to you? That leads you to say, I've got to confess this. I need to repent from this. I need encouragement or accountability in this. I need support in this. I need to live differently. That the sound doctrine that I have received will demonstrate itself in a sound life that I live and that my sound life will support sound doctrine so that no one can make fun of the Bible or make fun of Jesus. My words are true, impactful, and persuasive. That my life is full of praise as I follow Jesus and I love people as He has loved them. And that my witness is pure and strong and effective because I live a sound life that supports sound doctrine. Let's pray. God, our Father, as we've considered these words that challenge us on how we live, that the things we learn here at church and in our own personal Bible study should make a difference in how we live. That because we've received sound doctrine, we should live a sound life. And that our sound life would support sound doctrine. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15 that the church, Christ followers, are the pillar and support of the truth. 
and that by the way we live our lives, we support the truth of God's word. We support the truth of God's love. We support the gospel that Jesus died for anyone who follows him. So Father, whatever it is that we must do in order to be a better support and pillar of the truth, to live a life that demonstrates a sound doctrine, would we confess that to you now? And even if it is, we need to trust Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord. We thank you, Father, for your presence among us, and we pray that folks would respond in obedience now. In the name of Jesus, amen.